0: John chapter 19 Uh, we've come as far really uh, as verse 9 but I'll back up to verse 8 it says and when Pilate therefore heard that saying that Jesus claimed to be the son of God he was the more afraid and went again into the judgment hall and said unto Jesus whence art thou where are you from but Jesus gave him no answer Then said Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not to me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee, and I have power to release thee? And Jesus answered, and these are the last words that Pilate will hear from Jesus. Jesus answered, Thou couldest have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. And from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. And when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth. He sat down in the judgment seat in a place, this is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha, And it was the preparation of the Passover, about the sixth hour. And he said unto the Jews, Behold, your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said unto them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him uh, therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and they led him away. So we have this remarkable scene. Christ at this last trial, the sixth trial. Now the second one before Pilate. The way he's been mistreated, everything that's taken place. I'm now standing before Pilate, a bloody mess, and, and the chief priests are screaming. Now, you, you know, they give all the political reasons, but now they say, this is blasphemy. He claims to be the Son of God. And, and just to imagine him and Pilate looking at each other, uh, Christ has been brutalized. He has a scarlet robe on, a crown of thorns, beaten beyond human recognition, naked and uh, dignity, peace, strength, through a brutalized face. And Pilate's hearing he claims to be the son of God, and he's tortured by it. Um, I have this book, it's called He Died for Me. If you're patient with me, I'll read a little excerpt. Um, it's a physician's view of the crucifixion of Christ. I actually have three books written by doctors on the crucifixion. I'm torturing myself at home. But this one says, uh, few, there are medical scenarios and a few likely conclusions can be drawn to put the Lord's condition into perspective in the context of modern medicine. A chest, chest x-ray would have shown no f- rib fractures possibly fluid within the chest cavity, a condition referred to as pleural effusion. His chest fluid would have contained blood and watery fluid. The sac around the heart, the pericardium, would have also been filled with blood and water. um, A significant later in the crucifixion scene called the pericardial effusion um, would have been noted in a chest x-ray or an ultrasound known as echocardiogram. Today Jesus would no doubt have had a CT scan of his vital organs. Finding on a CT scan would show that he had no fractures but likely shown bleeding in the chest, abdominal cavities and kidney uh, contusions and swelling in the soft tissue of the chest and back. Routinely blood work would show low hemoglobin uh, bleeding uh, because of the bleeding low blood pressure and as alluded to earlier an abnormal sodium level due to fluid loss and sweating uh, dehydration this potassium level would have been elevated from poor kidney function since the kidneys regulate potassium, potassium um, his uralysis would have shown red blood cells in the urine indicating kidney contusions from flogging and he says Jesus would have been admitted to the intensive care unit immediately after the scourging had been given intravenous fluids, oxygen, blood transfusions, and pain control such as morphine. The surgeon would need to clean out the debris from Jesus' back wounds such as dirt, gravel, wood particles, as well as removing uh, dead tissue, a procedure called debridement. Antio- antioxidants, um, antibiotics would have been necessary to treat infection, which no doubt would be setting in from the unsanitary conditions of being scourged. Tinnid, uh, t- um, a tinnitus shot, tetanus shot, would have been mandatory to prevent tetanus, a deadly infection from bacteria that lives in the soil. It is likely that Jesus would have experienced severe respiratory distress necessitating a mechanical ventilator if he had survived more than a few hours. Jesus' face would have been swollen, bloody, his overall appearance grotesque, his appearance so disfigured beyond that of any man, his form marred more than the sons of men. Through all of this, remember that by his stripes we are healed." And you can imagine then, you know, for us we read through it, but in his physical frame, how he's been brutalized, how grotesque they've left his appearance. And he's standing face to face with Pilate. And Pilate is more afraid than he was before. His wife had sent word, don't have anything to do with this guy. I've been warned in a dream, this is a just man. And the, and the Pharisees and the chief priests now screaming, he claims to be the son of God. And Pilate then it says is more afraid. He just he doesn't he's got Pilate's on trial here, not Jesus. And it says Pilate then looks at him and he says, "Whence art thou?" He, he he goes back into the judgment role. He says, "Where are you from?" Jesus didn't give him any answer. Now he he knew he's asking a bigger question. We think because he knew he was a Galilean. Luke told us when he learned that he had sent him to Herod Antipas because Galilee was his jurisdiction. We knew he was called Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus had already told him in 1836, I believe, that his kingdom was not of this world. So Jesus had answered this question. You know, Pilate's not asking about his earthly origin, he knew he was a Galilean. He just looking at this brutalized figure, completely bloody, that stands there looking at him through this brutalized face with dignity and with peace and with fearlessness, he has never encountered anything like this. And listening to the Jews saying, makes himself to be the son of God, he says, where are you from? Where are you from? And Jesus just stands there and looks at him and doesn't answer. Verse 10 says, then said Pilate unto him... Speakest thou not unto me, me is emphatic, me, the procurator, you're not going to talk to me, it indicates he's annoyed. Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee, and I have power to release thee. I have authority to do either one of those things, in both places, authority. And then Jesus answered. Now he answers that because Pilate's wrong there, saying, I have authority to crucify thee or release thee, and you're not gonna talk to me. Jesus answered, Thou couldest have no power now at all is in italics, but it's emphasized in the language because he says my authority's twofold to crucify and to release. Jesus says you have no power at all. notice against Me, emphatic, me, above all people, me, except it were given you from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee, he, singular, that delivered me unto you, hath the greater sin. So remarkable, he's standing there in front of him at this point in time. And, and you and I look at him. We hear this doctor's description. It kind of, you know, it cuts us to the heart. And Jesus is saying here, this is, this is not by any authority you have. This is not Rome's authority. This is not Caesar's authority. That's not what's happening here. I'm drinking the cup that the Father has given me to drink. I'm submitted to his will. And I'm standing here before you because the authority you have in my life right now is authority that's given to you from above, not from Caesar. The Passion of the Cross, none of this, there's no accident here. It was determined for me to stand here in front of you. Paul will tell us in Galatians 4.4 that Christ came forth in the fullness of time. He comes when there's a Roman government running the world, securing nearly 60,000 miles of roads so travel can take place. He comes when there's a language, the Greek language for the New Testament to be written in, which is, which is accurate enough to, to communicate to the world what took place. He comes in the fullness of time when the Jews are under the heel of Rome and so forth. Paul tells us those authorities, Rome, the authorities that are be, Romans 13, are ordained of God. There's no authority except it comes from God. Daniel tells us in chapter 2 and chapter 4, verse 17, that God is the one who takes down one ruler and raises another one up. We look at kings and presidents and prime ministers. God is sovereign over this world. It is, there's nothing happening by chance And it says, he takes down one leader, he allows another leader to rise. And Daniel 4.17 says, sometimes he sets over a nation even the basest of men. Imagine, things have not changed. This lamb was slain, we're told, from the foundation of the world. Jesus when he talks to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus says wasn't it needful for Christ to suffer these things to come and go through this this was needful this is what was supposed to happen and he's standing here looking at Pilate saying you know you don't have any authority that's determining this the only authority you have against me is from above this is God you know relegating to you the freedom you have to take the actions that you're taking. Jesus wasn't murdered. He willfully went, tells us in chapter 10 of John, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. No man takes it from me. I lay it down of myself. And if I lay it down, I can take it up again. Hebrews chapter 10 says when Christ came into the world, and their present tense is there, Coming into the world he was saying, you know, sacrifice an offering thou would not, but a body thou hast prepared for me. Though I come in the volume of the book, it is written me to do thy will, O Lord. You know, he's standing in that. The very reason he had come was to lay down his life, a ransom for many. God's sovereignty is all over this. Jesus had said to them in chapter 2, these religi- religious leaders, destroy this temple. He's standing there bloody, brutalized, unimaginable. Destroy this temple. And how they had done that. And I will raise it up again in three days. Interesting, when Jesus had come to the river Jordan to be baptized. John. um, Matthew 3 tells us that John the Baptist looked at him and said I have need to be baptized of thee and thou comest to me and Jesus said unto him suffer it to be so now for it behooveth us to fulfill all righteousness not Jesus and John the Baptist it behooveth us and then the Spirit descends like a dove, and then the Father speaks from heaven. It was the Trinity. It behooveth us to fulfill all righteousness. You know, we look at our circumstances today, we look at things that seem unjust, we look at the world around us, we watch the news, and somehow God is still sovereign. He hasn't fallen off the throne. Things are still under his control. And here, Jesus tells him, this is out of your hands, Pilate. You, you have guilt in it, but it isn't as great as, as the sin of someone else who handed me over. That wasn't Judas. Judas had handed Jesus yeah. over to the priests. It was the high priest, Caiaphas, singular here, he, who handed Jesus over to Pilate. And the Lord says he has the greater sin. He walked in greater light, supposedly. Pilate wanted to get Jesus off his hands. It was Caiaphas who wanted to see him executed. We're told because the priests were envious of his position, they feared that Jesus was taking away, you know, their leadership in the nation. They ascribed his miracles to Beelzebub, the prince of demons. And this is the highest position in the world as far as God is concerned. This is Caiaphas, the high priest, over the only true body of truth, the Old Testament, the Word of God, over the children of Israel, God's people, with a much higher position as far as God is concerned than Caesar, who sits on a temporary throne in Rome. This position, high priest. And sadly, it had become... Like human beings in our world today in leadership, it had become a succession of disgraceful, self indulgent, opportunistic, godless men that were ruling and reigning. And Jesus said, That's the one who has the greater sin. You're wrong in this, Pilate, because you won't stand up and be a man. But the one that delivered me to you is the one who has the greater sin. So it's interesting, you know. And Jesus had told them look, an evil and adulterous generation seek after a sign. Pharisees, Sadducees came, give us a sign. He said, No sign is going to be given to you but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the heart of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days, three nights in the heart of the earth. He says, the only sign I'm given to you is the resurrection. And here he's saying, they have the greater sin, the one who delivered the, the high priest. And it says that from that point onward, verse 12, Pilate sought to release him. Now we're not, told how long this went on pilate comes out again stands before the open court of all the Jews and he it says here he sought it's an imperfect tense he began to seek and continued to seek in a sturative there's some time involved here he began to seek and continued seeking to to get Jesus off of his hands he's on trial now from thenceforth from that point on after Jesus had said that to him Pilate sought to release him that's what he wanted to do and he's telling the Jews why he's telling them look he's pronounced him innocent his verdict already three times I find no fault in him he has all of the authority of Rome. He said, Look, I've scourged him. You guys should be you guys should be satisfied. Look at him. He's brutalized. He's body. He's naked. He's got a crown of thorns. This is a threat to Rome? This is king of the Jews. What's wrong with you people? I should be able to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you release this man and let him go, thou art not Caesar's friend. And whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against. Caesar. Now, it's an interesting picture. You know, Judas had sold Jesus for money. Caiaphas is selling Jesus because he's envious. He's leading all of the people away from the religious leaders. And Pilate is selling Jesus, as it were, for position. And he's terrified here when they say this. Look, people even in this day, sell Jesus for all kinds of reasons. Um, but Pilate is unnerved by this, you're not Caesar's friend. Anybody who makes himself king, you know, is, is throwing his, his, you know, himself in, the, in Caesar's face. Is, you know, they're accusing him here of speaking against Caesar. Now, Pilate, remember, had been in trouble with Caesar several times. But Pilate had his closest friend that he grew up with, the head of the Praetorian Guard, the, priest, the prefect of the Praetorian Guard in Tiberius's court, uh, Lucius Elias Sejunus, was powerful, so powerful that when Tiberius would travel, he would leave Sejunus in charge, not a senator of Rome. And Lucius Elias Sejunus had given to Pilate a ring that said, Um, Caesarus Amicus, the friend of Caesar, in in Latin. And Pilate wore that and it was an honor to be recognized anywhere as the Emperor's friend, as Caesar's friend. But what had happened at this point in time is Tiberius went into retirement on Capri, at Capri, beautiful island, and left Sejunus running things for him in Rome, would communicate back and forth. And he learned that Sejunus had begun a conspiracy and wanted to take the throne. So Tiberius came back, rounded up Sejunus, called him to the Senate, and had him executed, October 18th, 31 AD, and then executed a bunch of his buddies too. So Pilate now is left in Judea without his connection to Caesar, and so had been an outspoken anti-Semite. So anything that Pilate will do now that has the Jews going to Rome and complaining, he's afraid of losing his position. So he's on trial now. What do I do? He's afraid of Jesus. He says he's more afraid of him. He's afraid of him because his wife told him about the dream. He's afraid of the Jews because they're going to report him to Caesar. You're not Caesar's friend. Your ring doesn't mean anything. Uh, He's afraid of his responsibility as a Roman, which is to make sure Roman justice goes forth. He's the one at this point in time that's really on trial. You're no longer Caesar's friend if you do that. And whoever, you know... Allows somebody to be a king is speaking against Caesar and when Pilate therefore heard that saying He brought Jesus forth he brings him now from the praetorium out to stand in front of the people again And it says and he sat down in the judgment seat in a place called the pavement But in Hebrew Gabbatha and it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour, and he said unto them, to the Jews, Behold, your king. So Pilate is pressed to the point now where he has to make the decision. And he knows the Jews have played their card, and they've, they've pinned him against the wall. They've called his bluff. He goes and he takes Jesus and brings him out to the pavement. Gabbatha is uncertain in the Hebrew. It can mean ridge or hill. Everything. It was an elevated place. And Pilate seats himself on the throne. The Bema throne. It's called there where judgment takes place. You and I will stand before the Bema throne of Christ for our rewards. And as he sits down there, he's saying to the crowd, I'm going to pass my verdict. That's the only reason he would sit down there. And he has Jesus standing there. And John thinks what happens then is so important to the entire world and history that he wants to tell us the exact time and place. John says that it was on that raised pavement in the great courtyard with all the Jews and with Jesus standing there brutalized and Pilate on the bema throne. And he says, and it was the preparation of the Passover. Now, look, all kinds of people want to argue and say, well, that means Jesus was crucified on Friday, not on Thursday. All the other synoptics are all clear that he celebrated the Passover dinner on Thursday. He's crucified on Friday. John is writing 90 AD, Jerusalem's gone, the temple's gone, the synoptics have all been written. He's writing to the church in Ephesus, the capital of the Roman province of Asia. And he's writing to people describing what took place then and to us. And to the church at that point in time, church life was that Jesus was crucified on Friday, risen on Sunday. That's why the church met on Sunday. So he tells us here it was the preparation of the Passover, not for the Passover. Some try to say, well, that was, if this is the preparation for the Passover, then the Passover dinner hadn't been eaten yet. It doesn't say that. It says it was the preparation of The Passover. The idea is of the Passover feast. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 23, all tell us it was a preparation for the Sabbath. It was the Sabbath of the Passover. So this is the preparation of the Passover, the preparation of the Sabbath of the Passover. And the word preparation, you you study through, is never used anywhere in the context of a feast. There's never a preparation for a feast, only for the Sabbath. And then he tells us it's about the sixth hour. So that's the next controversy, because Mark tells us it was at the third hour, which in Jewish time is nine o'clock in the morning. Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote while... Jerusalem still stood and the temple still stood. The Jews reckoned time from 6 p.m., sunset to 6 p.m. That was their 24 hours. The Romans reckoned time from midnight to midnight, the way we do. 12 midnight to 12 at noon, then 12 noon to 12 at midnight. The Jews reckoned their day... Not not the 24-hour day, but their day from 6 in the morning. That was the first hour. The third hour was 9. The sixth hour was noon. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell us that when Jesus was on the cross, they all say from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, there was a great darkness that covered the earth. So Jesus was already on the cross in the sixth hour, so that can't be the sixth hour that John is talking about here. The Romans measured their time midnight, third hour, three in the morning, sixth hour, six o'clock in the morning. Uh, you know, ninth hour, nine o'clock, twelfth hour, 12. They, they reckoned their time differently. And the way the Romans did it, they didn't use sundials. It wasn't somebody pulled out their, you know, their Apple watch and said, oh, it's 847. You know, they didn't do that. They measured time by the three-hour shifts. So in the Roman mind, when John says it it was about the sixth hour, that means anywhere from six to nine o'clock. And it would always be used if it was closer to the six o'clock mark. So it's not saying this when Jesus was crucified. This is when Pilate has him before the crowd. Could have been 7, could have been 7.30. We know by the time he gets to the cross, Mark tells us specifically he's crucified at 9 o'clock. So this is about the sixth hour. Could be 7 o'clock, could be whenever it says. And he says to these Jews now, behold your king. Now he's digging at them. He's goading them. He's so angry because they played the Caesar card on him. And he's they forced his hand. So now he is goading them, saying to them, Look, behold your king. Behold him. Look, this is your king, you Jews. Beaten, bloody, you know. Humiliated. Behold your king. And they cry, away with him, away with him. Pilate said unto them, Shall I crucify again your king? And the chiefs, and and the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Imagine that. We have no king but Caesar. A feigned, you have to, something that only happened in other ages. A feigned patriotism for leaders to bring about their own diabolical and self-centered ends. We have no king but Caesar. They hated Caesar. They hated Rome. They hated Pilate. We have no king but Caesar and how politics have always been played. Someone has always been embraced for the opportunistic even though they hate the person that's there things have not changed. We have no king but Caesar. And sadly, they've suffered through the ages with that truth. They've had no king but Caesar. Because they rejected the only king that still had a bloodline through his mother and through his father directly to the throne of David. And no one's been able to track that since. We have no king but Caesar. And they will have one more Caesar. Caesar they will face from a revived Roman Empire called the Antichrist. They will have no king but Caesar until Christ himself returns. And he says, they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Your house is left desolate until you shall say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. So sad to see this picture. And Pilate, he can't believe no doubt that he hears that. We have no king but Caesar. It says, then he delivered him to them. Now, Matthew gives us this other detail. It says, when Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but rather a tumult was made, he took water. He washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. That's the the term his wife used see ye to it and they answered all the people and they said his blood be on us and upon our children just a remarkable scene and look Pilate now again prefect of judea he was there he had to be um, by caesar's command patient and tolerant with local religious Uh, forms wherever the, the land they conquered he knew the laws of the Jews he had banged heads with them several times they play the Roman hand against him now he plays the Jewish hand against them because there's no place where the Romans are ever recorded as washing their hands in a judicial circumstance and saying, I'm free from this. That was not a Roman custom. He took a custom that these Jews understood perfectly. In Deuteronomy 21, it says, if someone innocent was killed and everybody was gonna claim it wasn't their fault, it says, all of the elders of that village that are next to this slain man shall wash their hands over the heifer with the broken neck in the valley They shall answer and say, Our hands have not shed this blood, neither have our eyes seen it. Be merciful, O Lord, unto thy people Israel, whom thou hast redeemed. And lay not innocent blood unto thy people of Israel's charge. And the blood shall be forgiven them. So shalt thou put away the guilt of innocent blood from among you. When thou shalt do that which is right in the sight of the Lord. Pilate takes that in front of them and he washes his hands. I'm free, you know, from, the, from this innocent blood. It's not on my hands. That was a Jewish tradition. They understood it. And he said, I'm done with this. I'm not attached to it anymore. Now, of course... Little did he know. For the next 2,000 years, the Apostle, Apostles Creed would say, "Crucified under Pontius Pilate, dead and buried, rose again on the third day." He never got out of it. He's been attached to it ever since. He should have got out of it by by saying he's innocent. I'm letting him go. Should never have scourged him in the first place. But politics have always been politics, and sinful human beings have always been the politicians in the politics. And we see the problem here. And of course, they cry, "His blood be upon us, and upon our children." And sometimes we say things, you know, so foolish, so contradictory, and we can so easily forget. My wife will do that to <laughs> me. Well, you said. <laughs> no, no, he, no, I don't. Don't tell me I don't remember. You don't remember? You so, said, you know in acts i'm just making that up acts chapter 5 they're they're challenging the apostles the same religious leaders not to preach the gospel saying did we not straitly command you that you should not teach in this name and behold you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us isn't that interesting by Acts five, they forgot that they had screamed, "His blood be upon us, and upon our children." Uh, you know, for you and I, as as I come to this text, I, I I think you know there's there's lots of things to think about with God's sovereignty completely involved here. There's no mistakes. There's nothing out of control. Jesus said, yeah, you've, uh, you've done this, but the authority you've done it by is not Caesar's. It's not Rome's. It's from heaven. That's the only reason you've been allowed to do this to me. So we see him there. I see him. You know, the Holy Spirit will say to me, behold your king. And he'll remind me that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And I see my king brutalized, unrecognizable as a human being, humiliated, spit on, crown of thorns, bleeding profusely, My King, Lord of Lords, King of Kings. You know, it says we love him because he first loved us. Jesus said, No greater love hath any man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And then he looked at the guys around the table and at us and said, You are my friends. I'm not just his friend, I'm his son. I'm his son. He didn't hire me as a pastor, not his employee. He gave birth to me. He gave birth to me. And I think for you and I here today, again, we can go, be going through terrible, difficult circumstances. We can have things happen in our lives that seem unjust. We can wonder, God, do you love me? How could you, you know, how could you let this happen to me? How could this be happening in my life? And the Holy Spirit would say what He's always said, Behold your King. That's how you know God's love. It's not that we loved him, but that He first loved us and gave His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. For all of us today, behold your King. Behold your king. He loves you. He died for you. You're to, you're to measure God's love for you, not by the circumstances of life on the horizontal, but by the authority of heaven allowing. What does it take? I have two sons for the Father in heaven who loved his son more than I will ever love my sons and had the authority to stop this at any time and instead reserved himself almighty and allowed this to go forward watching his own son brutalized and spit on And would say to me, Joe, you want to know if I love you? It's not because you got a new car. It's not because your diet's working great. You want to know if I love you? Behold your king. Look at my son. The lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, let me say this to you, you know, who's your king? Because there are Caesars. There's self, you know, opportunists today all over in different places. Uh, Human beings, sinful. God allows the human, you know, race to continue to move forward until the end of time and it will come. And who's your king? Behold means Consider. Consider. Who's your king? A president? A congressman? A rock star? A recording artist? The head of an organization? A revolutionist? Your money? Your goals? Who's your king? Who's your king? Whatever you give the most amount of your time, and your energy, and your resources, too, that's your God. That's your king. The question today is, do you want an earthly king? Do you want a politician? A worldly peacemaker? Or do you want a king... who laid down his life for you, who bled out his life on a cross so you could live, a king who was almighty and was all-powerful and was not corrupt, no sin found in him, no corruption, perfect, holy, without sin, all-powerful, almighty, who came as your substitute and died in your place so you could have life. What king do you want? You can make that decision today. It's not Calvary Chapel. It's not Christianity. It's not religion. It's Jesus. It's a personal relationship with a living Savior who rose from the dead. I encourage you, if you want that today, we're going to sing a song together now. We're going to worship. We're going to lift our hearts to the Lord as we do that as his children Maybe it's time for you to to consider what do I bow my knee to? We all bow to something. What do I bow my knee to? And in eternity, what good will that do me? And if there's a God that loves me so much that he would give his only son and trade him away so I could be his. That's the king I'm looking for. Let's stand. Let's pray together. And as we sing this last song, look, if you're here today and you know you need to be saved, who's your king? Your health, your mirror, yourself, your finances, your favorite politician, your favorite rock star. Who's your king? Who's your king? When the scripture says to me, behold your king, there's only one place that I look. We have one king. He have one king and he laid down his life for us so we could be forgiven. And so we could go to heaven. And as soon as we get there, it says we're going to see the lamb with the marks of slaughter upon him. Slain from the foundation of the world. Who's your king? We know who our king is. Amen. Let's pray. We'll worship. If you don't know Jesus today, you know in your heart you need to get up here. Jesus said, if you'll confess me before men, that's why we ask you to come publicly, I'll confess you before my Father and all the angels in heaven. And he says, no man can come, no woman, no child, unless my Father in heaven draws that person that's the only reason if God's sovereign over everything like he was over this the only reason you're standing in church this morning is either somebody promised to buy you breakfast if you came or for something in your heart drew you out and as we worship as as this goes forward i want you to listen not to me not what i've said listen to your own heart because jesus said the father will speak to men and women that he loves that he gave his own son for and draw them to himself. And it's not Russian or English or Spanish. It's a language of the heart that you will never be able to deny in eternity hearing. You will hear it today as we worship. If you don't know Christ, he will speak to you and say, you need to come and be mine today. If you want rest for your soul, if you want forgiveness, if you want certainty of a future, come to me. I have paid for all of that in my blood because I love you because I love you look at me brutalized because I love you you need to come to me today that's what he's going to say to you don't listen to me listen to that voice and you come as we worship Lord we put all of this before you thank you Lord for the detail the the, the scene that's drawn out that you turn our ears into eyes Lord. That you, with your word, rise off the page and you speak to us and you draw us, you renew us, you strengthen us. And Lord, we are, we know in the ages to come, still be learning about your grace, Lord. Amazing to see you here under this condition in this scene. And we hear Paul praying that we might comprehend the height and the depth and the breadth and the width. Father of your love towards us and your son, Jesus Christ. Grant that to us. And Lord, for any that are here that have never come, Lord, again, you add to the church daily such as should be saved. That's your work. It was your work letting your son go into this passion and crucifixion. It is your work then to draw men and women to that redemption that's been provided. So as we worship, Lord, we pray that you would touch the hearts of those maybe that are here that have never come and you would draw them we trust you to do that lord we pray in your name amen let's worship